0: Seasons When We Should Keep the Heart Thirdly, I will now point out those special seasons in the life of a Christian which require our utmost diligence in keeping the heart. Though, as was observed before, the duty is always binding, and there is no time or condition of life in which we may be excused from this work. Yet there are some special seasons and critical hours that require more than common vigilance over the heart. The Time of Prosperity The first season is the time of prosperity when Providence smiles upon us. Now, Christian, keep your heart with all diligence, for it will be very apt to grow secure, proud, and earthly. To see a man humble in prosperity, says Bernard, is one of the greatest rarities in the world. Even a good Hezekiah could not hide a prideful temper in his temptation. Therefore that caution came to Israel. Scripture, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not then beware lest thou forget the lord deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 so it happened for jeshurun waxed fat and kicked how then can a christian keep his heart from pride and carnal security when providence smiles on him and he enjoys creature comforts there are several ways to secure the heart from the dangerous snares of prosperity 1. Consider the dangerous ensnaring temptations that come with a pleasant and prosperous situation. Few, very few people who live in the pleasures of this world escape everlasting hell. It is easier, says Christ, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 19 verse 24. Not many mighty, not many noble are called 1 Corinthians twenty six. We have great reason to tremble when the Scripture tells us in general that few will be saved, and much more reason when it tells us that of that rank of which we are, few will be saved. When Joshua called all the tribes of Israel to cast lots for the discovery of Achan, doubtless Achan feared. When the tribe of Judah was taken, his fear increased. But when the family of the Zarhites was taken, It was time to tremble. So when the Scriptures come so near as to tell us that of such a class of men very few shall escape, it is time to be alarmed. I wonder, says Chrysostom, if any of the rulers are saved. Oh, how many have been wheeled to hell in the chariots of earthly pleasures, while others have been whipped to heaven by the rod of affliction! How few, like the daughter of Tyre, come to Christ with a gift! how few among the rich plead for his favor! 2. It may keep one more humble and more watchful in prosperity to consider that among Christians many have been much the worse because of it. How good it would have been for some of them if they had never known prosperity! When they were in a low condition, how humble, spiritual, and heavenly they were! But when advanced, what an apparent alteration happened to their spirits! It was so with Israel. When they were in a low condition in the wilderness, Israel was holiness to the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 23. But when they entered Canaan and were richly fed, their language was, We are Lords, we will not come no more unto thee. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 31. Outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. As in a low condition, their civil employments were accustomed to have a savor of their religious duties; so in an exalted condition, their duties commonly have a savor of the world. He indeed is rich in grace whose graces are not hindered by his riches. There are few Jehoshaphats in the world of whom it is said, "He had riches and honor in abundance, and his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord." Second Chronicles, chapter seventeen, verses five through six. Will this not keep your heart humble in prosperity? To think how dearly many godly men have paid for their riches, that through them they have lost that which the world cannot purchase. 3. Humble your vain heart with this consideration. God does not value a man more because of these things. God values no man by outward excellencies, but by inward graces. They are the internal ornaments of the Spirit, which are of great value in God's sight, 1 Peter chapter three verse four. God despises all worldly glory and accepts no man's person. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, Acts chapter 10 verse 35. Indeed, if the judgment of God went by the same rule that man's does, then we might value ourselves by these things and stand upon them. But what every man is, as such he is in the judgment of God. Does your heart still swell, and will neither of the former considerations keep it humble? 4. Consider how bitterly many dying people have lamented their stupidity in setting their hearts on these things, and have wished that they had never known them. How dreadful was the situation of Pope Quintus, who died crying out despairingly, When I was in a low condition, I had some hopes of salvation. When I was advanced to be a cardinal, I greatly doubted. But since I came to the popedom, I have no hope at all. An author also tells us a real but sad story of a rich tyrant who had scraped up a great estate for his only son. When he was about to die, he called his son to him and said, Son, do you truly love me? The son answered that, Nature, besides his fatherly care, required him to do that. Then, said the father, show it this way, hold your finger in the candle for as long as I am saying a prayer. The son attempted it, but could not endure it. Seeing that, the father exclaimed, You cannot endure the burning of your finger for me, but to get this wealth I have risked my soul for you and must burn body and soul in hell for your sake. Your pains would have been for only a moment. But mine will be unquenchable fire. 5. The heart may be kept humble by considering that earthly things inhibit a soul heartily engaged in going to heaven. They can shut out many heavenly joys from us now, though they will not ultimately keep us out of heaven. If you consider yourself a stranger in this world, traveling to heaven, Then you have as much reason to be delighted with these things as a weary horse has to be pleased with a heavy burden. There was a serious truth in the atheistic scoff of Julian when taking away the Christians' estates. He told them it was to make them more fit for the kingdom of heaven. 6. Is your spirit still vain and lofty? Then urge it to consider that dreadful day of reckoning where, according to our receipts of mercies, will be our account for them I think this should awe and humble the vainest heart that ever was in the bosom of a saint know for a certainty that the lord records all the mercies that ever he gave to you from the beginning to the end of your life scripture o my people remember now from shittim unto gilgal that ye may know the righteousness of the lord micah chapter 6 verse 4 Yes, they are exactly numbered and recorded in order to an account, and your account will be suitable. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, Luke chapter 12 verse 48. You are a steward, and your lord will come and take an account of you. And what a great account you have to make, who have much of this world in your hands. What swift witnesses will your mercies be against you? if this be the best fruit of them. 7. It is a very humbling thought that the mercies of God should work otherwise upon my spirit than they did upon the spirits of others to whom they come as sanctified mercies from the love of God. Ah, Lord, what a sad consideration this is! It is enough to lay me in the dust when I consider that a. their mercies have greatly humbled them, The higher God has raised them, the lower they have laid themselves before him. Jacob did this when God had given him much wealth. Scripture And Jacob said, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies, and of all the truth, which thou hast shewed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Genesis chapter thirty two, verse ten. It was the same with David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, when God had confirmed the promise to him to build a house for him and not reject him as he rejected Saul. David goes before the Lord and says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? So indeed God required that when Israel brought to him the first fruits of Canaan, they were to say, A Syrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty and populous. Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 5. Do others raise God higher for his raising them? And the higher God raises me, the more will I abuse him and exalt myself? What wicked conduct that is. B others have freely ascribed the glory of all their enjoyments to god and not magnified themselves but him for their mercies so david says let thy name be magnified forever and let the house of thy servant david be established second samuel chapter 7 verse 26 he does not fly on the mercy and suck out its sweetness looking no further than his own comfort no he cares for no mercy unless god is magnified in it so when God delivered him from all his enemies, he said, The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. Psalm 18, verse 2. Saints of old did not put the crown on their own heads, as I do, because of my vanity. C. The mercies of God have been melting mercies unto others, melting their souls in love to the God of their mercies. When Hannah received the mercy of a son, she said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, first Samuel chapter seven, verse twenty six. Not in the mercy, but in the God of the mercy. So also Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Luke chapter one, verse forty six. The word magnify signifies to make more room for God. Their hearts were not diminished, but enlarged more to God. D. The mercies of God have been great restraints to keep others from sin. Seeing that thou our God hast given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments? Ezra chapter 9 verse 13. Sincere souls have felt the force of the obligations of love and mercy upon them. E. The mercies of God to others have been as oil to the wheels of their obedience and made them more fit for service. Second Chronicles chapter 17. Now, if mercies work contrarily upon my heart, what reason do I have to be afraid that they do not come to me in love? It is enough to dampen the spirits of any saint to see what sweet effects mercies have had on others and what bitter effects on him. The time of adversity. The second season in the life of a Christian requiring more than common diligence to keep his heart is the time of adversity. When providence frowns upon you and blasts your visible comforts, then look to your heart. Keep it with all diligence from complaining against God or fainting under His hand. For troubles, though sanctified, are still troubles. Jonah was a godly man, and yet how fretful was his heart under affliction! Job was the mirror of patience, yet his heart was upset by trouble. You will find it hard to have a composed spirit under great afflictions. Oh, the hurries and tumults which visit even the best of hearts! Let me show you, then, how a Christian under great afflictions can keep his heart from complaining or feeling dejected under the hand of God. I will offer several methods to keep the heart in this condition. 1. By these cross providences God is faithfully pursuing the great design of electing love upon the souls of his people and orders all these afflictions as means sanctified to that end. Afflictions come not by casualty but by counsel. Job chapter 5 verse 6, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. By the counsel of God they are ordained as means of considerable spiritual good to Christians. Scripture. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. Isaiah chapter twenty-seven, verse nine. He chastened us for our profit. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse ten. All things work together for good. Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight. Afflictions are God's workmen on our hearts to pull down our pride and carnal security of them. As a result, their nature is changed; they are turned into blessings and benefits. It is good for me that I have been afflicted," said David, Psalm verse 71. Surely, then, you have no reason to quarrel with God, but rather to wonder that He should concern Himself so much for your good, that He would use any means for accomplishing it. Paul could bless God if, by any means, he might attain the resurrection of the dead, Philippians chapter 3, verse 11. My brethren," said James count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. My Father is working a design of love on my soul, and do I do well to be angry with Him? All that He does is in pursuance of and in reference to some eternal glorious end upon my soul. It is my ignorance of God's design that makes me quarrel with Him. He says to you in this case, as He did to Peter, What I do thou knowest not now but thou shalt know hereafter. 2. Though God has reserved to Himself the right of afflicting His people, yet He tied up His own hands by promising to never take His loving kindness away from them. Can I contemplate this Scripture with a complaining, discontented spirit? I will be His Father, and He shall be My Son. If He commit iniquity, I will chasten Him with the rod of men, And with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him. 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. O my heart, my arrogant heart! Is it right for you to be discontent when God has given you the whole tree with all the clusters of comfort growing on it because he allows the wind to blow down a few leaves? Christians have two kinds of goods the goods of the throne and the goods of the footstool eternal possessions, and worldly possessions. If God has secured those, never let my heart be troubled at the loss of these. Indeed, if He had cut off His love, or broken His covenant to my soul, I would have reason to be cast down, but this He has not done, nor can He do it. 3. It is of great value to keep the heart from sinking under afflictions, to remember that your own Father has the directing of them. Not a creature moves hand or tongue against you, but by his wise permission. Suppose the cup is bitter, yet it is the cup which your Father has given you. Can you suspect that there is poison in it? Foolish man, think about your own heart. Could you give your child something that would hurt him? No. You would as soon hurt yourself as him. Scripture, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, Matthew 7, verse 11, how much more does God? The very consideration of his nature as a God of love, pity, and tender mercies, or of his relation to you as a father, husband, and friend, may be security enough, if he had not spoken a word to quiet you in this case. And yet you have his word, too, by the prophet Jeremiah. I will do you no hurt, Jeremiah 25, verse 6. You are too close to his heart for him to hurt you. Nothing grieves him more than your groundless and unworthy suspicions of his designs. Would it not grieve a faithful, tender-hearted physician, when he had studied the case of his patient and prepared the best medicines to save his life, to hear his patient cry out, He has harmed me, he has poisoned me, because the operation hurts? Oh, when will you be submissive? 4. God respects you as much in bad as in good times. Therefore, it should not trouble you when you experience difficulties. No, He manifests more of His love, grace, and tenderness in the time of affliction than in the time of prosperity. Because God did not choose you because you were doing well, He will not forsake you now because you are afflicted. Men may be afraid to look at you and alter their opinions as your condition is altered. When providence has blasted your estate your fair-weather friends may grow distant fearing you may be troublesome to them but will god do that no no i will never leave thee nor forsake thee he says hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 if adversity and poverty could bar you from access to god it would indeed be a deplorable condition but so far from this you may go to him as freely as ever my God will hear me, says the church. Micah chapter 7 verse 7. Poor David, when stripped of all earthly comforts, could encourage himself in the Lord his God. Why not you? Suppose your husband or son had lost everything at sea and came to you in rags. Could you deny the relation or refuse to help him? If you would not, much less will God. Then why are you so troubled? Though your condition is changed, your Father's love has not changed. 5. What if, by the loss of physical comforts, God preserves your soul from the ruining power of temptation? Surely, then, you have little reason to sink your heart by such sad thoughts. Do not earthly enjoyments make men shrink away in times of trial? For the love of earthly enjoyments many have forsaken Christ in such a time. The young ruler went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Matthew chapter 19 verse 22. If this is God's plan, how ungrateful it is to murmur against him for it. We see that sailors in a storm can throw overboard the most valuable goods to preserve their lives. We know it is common for soldiers in a besieged city to destroy the finest buildings in which the enemy may take shelter, and no one doubts that it is wise to do so those who have deteriorated arms or legs willingly stretch them out to be cut off, and not only thank but also pay the surgeon. Must God be murmured against for throwing overboard that which would sink you in a storm, for destroying that which would assist your enemy in the siege of temptation, for cutting off what would endanger your everlasting life? O inconsiderate, ungrateful man, are not these things that you grieve for, the very things that have ruined thousands of souls? 6. When under adversity, it would help your heart a lot to consider that God, by such humbling providences, may be accomplishing what you have prayed and waited a long time for. Should you be troubled by that? Say, Christian, do you not have many prayers pending before God like these, that He would keep you from sin? that He would show you the emptiness of the creature, that He would crush and kill your lusts, that your heart may never find rest in any enjoyment but Christ. By such humbling and impoverishing strokes, God may be fulfilling your desires. Would you be kept from sin? Lo, He will hedge up thy way with thorns. Would you see the creature's vanity? Your affliction is a mirror to reveal it. For the vanity of the creature is never so effectually and sensibly discovered as in our own experience. Do you want your vices crushed? This is the way, to have the food and fuel removed that feeds them. For as prosperity gave birth and fed them, so adversity, when sanctified, is a means to kill them. Do you want your heart to rest only in the bosom of God? What better method could providence take to accomplish your desire than pulling from under your head that soft pillow of creature delights on which you rested before? And yet you fret at this. Spiteful child, how you try your father's patience. If he delays his answers to your prayers, you are ready to say that he does not respect you. If he answers your prayers, though not in the way which you expect, you murmur against him for that it is as if instead of answering, He was crossing all your hopes and aims. Is this sincerity? Is it not enough that God is so gracious as to do what you desire? Must you be so brazen as to expect Him to do it in the way which you prescribe? 7. It may encourage your heart to consider that in these troubles God is performing that work in which your soul would rejoice if you saw the plan. We are clouded with a lot of ignorance and are not able to discern how particular providences tend to the fulfillment of God's plan. Therefore, like Israel in the wilderness, we often murmur because providence leads us about in a howling desert where we are exposed to difficulties. He led them then and is leading us now by the right way to a city of habitation. If you could only see how God in His secret counsel has exactly laid the whole plan of your salvation even to the smallest means and circumstances, you could discern the admirable harmony of divine dispensations, their mutual relations, together with the general respect they all have to the last end. If you had the freedom to make your own choice, you would, of all conditions in the world, choose that which you are in now. Providence is like an interesting piece of tapestry made of a thousand shreds which singly appear useless, but when put together represent a beautiful history to the eye. As God does all things according to the counsel of His own will, this is ordained as the best method to accomplish your salvation. Such a one has a proud heart, so many humbling providences are appointed for him. Such a one has an earthly heart, So many impoverishing providences are appointed for him. If you see this, I do not need to say any more to support the most dejected heart. 8. It would be very helpful to bring settlement to your heart, to consider that fretting and discontent brings more injury to yourself than all of your afflictions could. Your own discontent arms your troubles with a sting, You make your burden heavy by struggling under it. If you would lie quietly under the hand of God, your condition would be much easier than it is. Impatience in the sick brings severity in the physician. This makes God afflict even more, as a father does to a stubborn child who does not receive correction. Besides, it disqualifies the soul to pray over its troubles, or receive the sense of the good which God intends by the afflictions. Affliction is a pill which, being wrapped up in patience and quiet submission, may be swallowed easily. But discontent chews the pill and so embitters the soul. God may throw away some comfort which He knows would hurt you. Will you throw away your peace after it? He shoots an arrow which sticks in your clothes and was never intended to hurt, But only to drive you from sin. You will thrust it deeper to the piercing of your very heart by despondency and discontent. 9. If your heart, like that of Rachel's, still refuses to be comforted, then do one more thing. Compare the condition you are in now that you are so dissatisfied with with the condition that others are in and in which you deserve to be. Others are roaring in flames, howling under the scourge of vengeance, and among them I deserve to be. O my soul, is this hell? Is my condition as bad as that of the damned? What would thousands now in hell give to exchange conditions with me? I have read, says an author, that when the Duke of Condé had voluntarily subjected himself to the inconveniences of poverty, He was observed one day and pitied by a lord of Italy, who compassionately wished him to be more careful of himself. The good duke answered, Sir, be not troubled, and do not think that I suffer from need, for I send a harbinger before me who makes ready my lodgings and takes care that I am royally entertained. The Lord asked him who was his harbinger. He answered, The knowledge of myself and the consideration of what I deserve for my sins which is eternal torment. When with this knowledge I arrive at my lodging, however unprovided I find it, methinks it is much better than I deserve. Why does the living man complain? Thus the heart may be kept from becoming dejected or complaining under adversity. The Time of Zion's Troubles The third season, calling for more than ordinary diligence to keep the heart, is the time of Zion's troubles. When the church, like the ship Christ and His disciples were in, is oppressed and ready to perish in the waves of persecution, then good souls are ready to be shipwrecked too, upon the waves of their own fears. It is true most men need the spur rather than the reins in this case. Yet some men sit down discouraged under a sense of the church's troubles. The loss of the Ark of the Covenant cost Eli his life. The sad condition in which Jerusalem lay made good Nehemiah's countenance change in the midst of all the pleasures and accommodations of the court. Nehemiah chapter two verse two. But though God allows, yes commands, the most awakened apprehensions of these calamities and in such a day calls to weeping and to mourning and to girding with sackcloth. Isaiah chapter twenty two verse twelve. And severely threatens the insensible ones, Amos chapter 6 verse one. Yet it does not please him to see you sit like pensive Elijah under the juniper tree. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, First Kings chapter 19 verse four. No, you may be a mourner in Zion and should be, but a self-tormentor you must not be. You can complain to God, but do not complain of God though but by the language of your actions. Now let us inquire how tender hearts may be relieved and supported even when they are overwhelmed with the burdensome sense of Zion's troubles. I grant it is hard for him who prefers Zion to his chief joy to keep his heart from sinking due to the sense of its troubles. Yet this ought to be done, and may be done, by the use of such hard-establishing directions as these. 1. Settle this great truth in your heart, that no trouble befalls Zion, but by the permission of Zion's God, and he permits nothing out of which he will not ultimately bring much good to his people. Comfort may be derived from reflections on the permitting as well as on the commanding will of God. Let him alone, for the Lord hath bidden him. 2 Samuel chapter 16 verse 10. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above, John chapter 19, verse 11. It should calm our hearts greatly that it is the will of God to allow it, and that had He not allowed it, it could never have been as it is. This very consideration quieted Job, Eli, David, and Hezekiah. That the Lord did it was enough for them. Why should it not be so for us? If the Lord will have Zion plowed as a field, and her sizable stones lie in the dust, if it be His pleasure that Antichrist should rage yet longer and wear out the Christians of the Most High, if it be His will that a day of trouble, and of treading down, and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts should be upon the valley of vision, that the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he, then what are we that we should contend with God? It is fitting that we should be resigned to that will from which we proceeded, and that He who made us should dispose of us as He pleases. He may do to us what seems good to Him without our consent. Does a poor man stand upon equal ground that he may capitulate with his Creator, or that God should render him an account of any of his matters? That we be content, however God may dispose of us, is as reasonable as that we be obedient whatever he may require of us but if we pursue this argument further and consider that god's permissions all meet at last in the real good of his people this will greatly quiet our spirits do the enemies carry away the best among the people into captivity this looks like a distressing providence but god sends them there for their good jeremiah chapter 24 verse 5 does God take the Assyrian as a staff in His hand to beat His people with? The end of His doing so is when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion, Isaiah chapter ten verse twelve. If God can bring much more good out of the greatest evil of sin, much more out of temporal afflictions, the fact that He will is as evident as that He can do so for it is inconsistent with the wisdom of a common man to permit anything, which he might prevent if he pleased, to foil his great design. Can it be imagined that the most wise God should do so? As Luther said to Melanchthon, I say to you, let infinite wisdom, power, and love alone. For by these all creatures are swayed, and all actions guided in reference to the church. It is not our work to rule the world, but to submit to Him who does. The motions of providence are all judicious. The wheels are full of eyes. It is enough that the affairs of Zion are in a good hand. 2. Ponder this heart-supporting truth. How many troubles are upon Zion, yet her King is in her? What? Has the Lord forsaken His churches? Has He sold them into the enemy's hands? Does He not see what evil happens to them so that our hearts sink? Is it not shamefully undervaluing the great God and too much magnifying poor, powerless men to fear and tremble at creatures while God is in the midst of us? The church's enemies are many and mighty, let that be granted, yet that argument with which Caleb and Joshua strove to raise their own hearts is of as much force now as it was then. The Lord is with us fear them not numbers chapter 14 verse 9 a historian tells us that when antigonus overheard his soldiers reckoning how many their enemies were and thus discouraging one another he suddenly stepped in among them with this question and how many do you reckon me for discouraged souls how many do you reckon the lord for is he not an overmatch for all his enemies is not one almighty more than many mighties if god be for us who can be against us romans chapter 8 verse 31 what do you think was the reason for that great examination that gideon made judges chapter 6 he questions he desires a sign and after that another sign and what was the reason for all this but that he might be sure that the lord was with him and that he could write this motto upon his flag the sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. So if you can be well assured that the Lord is with His people, you will thereby rise above all your discouragements. Because He is so, you will not require a sign from heaven. Look, you have a sign before you, their marvelous preservation amid all their enemies. If God be not with His people, how is it that they are not swallowed up quickly? Do their enemies lack malice, power, or opportunity? No, but there is an invisible hand upon them. Let then His presence give us rest, and though the mountains be hurled into the sea, though heaven and earth mingle together, fear not. God is in the midst of Zion, and she shall not be moved. 3. Consider the great advantages the people of God have in an afflicted condition. If a low and an afflicted state in the world is really best for the church, then your dejection is not only irrational but also ungrateful. Indeed, if you estimate the happiness of the church by its worldly ease, splendor, and prosperity, then such times of affliction will appear to be unfavorable. But if you reckon its glory to consist in its humility, faith, and heavenly-mindedness, then no condition abounds so much with advantages for these as an afflicted condition. It was not persecutions and prisons, but worldliness and lack of restraint which poisoned the church. Neither was it the earthly glory of its professing Christians, but the blood of its martyrs which was the seed of the church. The power of godliness never thrived better than in affliction, and was never less thriving than in times of greatest prosperity. When we are left a poor and afflicted people, then we learn to trust in the name of the Lord Zephaniah chapter 4. It is indeed for the Christian's advantage to be weaned from the love of and delight in ensnaring earthly vanities, to be revived and urged forward with more haste to heaven, to have clearer discoveries of their own hearts, to be taught to pray more fervently, frequently, spiritually, and to look and long for the heavenly rest more ardently. If these are for their advantage, experience teaches us that no condition is ordinarily blessed with such fruits as these, like an afflicted condition. Is it well then to moan and droop because your Father consults the advantage of your soul rather than the gratification of your fleshly desires? Because He will bring you to heaven by a nearer way than you are willing to go, is this a due requital of his love who is pleased so much to concern himself in your welfare who does more for you than he will do for thousands in the world upon whom he will not lay a rod or dispense in affliction to them for their good Hosea chapter 4 verse 17 Matthew chapter 15 verse 14 but alas we judge by sense and reckon things good or evil according to our present taste 5. Take care that you do not overlook the many precious mercies which the people of God enjoy amid all their trouble. It is a pity that our tears on account of our troubles should blind our eyes so much that we do not see our mercies. I will not insist upon the mercy of having your life given you for a spoil of war, nor upon the many outward comforts which you enjoy above what were enjoyed by Christ and his precious servants, of whom the world was not worthy. But what do you say to pardon of sin, interest in Christ, the covenant of promise, and an eternity of happiness in the presence of God after a few days are over? Oh, that people entitled to such mercies as these should droop under any earthly affliction, or be so concerned about the frowns of men and the loss of trivialities! You do not have the smiles of great men, but you do have the favor of the great God you are perhaps reduced in worldly things, but you are thereby increased in spiritual and eternal things. You cannot live as plentifully as before, but you may live as heavenly as ever. Will you grieve so much for these circumstances that you forget your soul? Should light troubles make you forget great mercies? Remember, the true riches of the church are laid out of reach of all enemies. What does God not distinguish between his own and others in his outward allowances? Yes, what though his judgments single out the best and spare the worst, what though an Abel is killed in love and a Cain survive in hatred, a bloody Dionysius die in his bed and a good Josiah fall in battle, what though the belly of the wicked is filled with hidden treasures and the teeth of the Christians with gravel stones, Still, there is much matter of praise, for electing love has distinguished, though common providence has not, and while prosperity and impunity slay the wicked, even slaying and adversity will benefit and save the righteous. 6. Believe that no matter how far the church is plunged under the waters of adversity, she will assuredly rise again. Fear not, For as sure as Christ arose the third day, in spite of the seal and guard over him, so for sure Zion will arise out of all her troubles and lift her victorious head up over all her enemies. There is no reason to fear the ruin of those people who thrive by their losses and multiply by being diminished. Do not be too quick to bury the church before she is dead. Stay until Christ has done His work before you give her up for lost. The bush may be in flames, but it will never be consumed, and that because of the goodwill of Him who dwells in it. 7. Remember the instances of God's care and tenderness over His people in previous difficulties. For over eighteen hundred years the Christian church has been in affliction, and yet it is not consumed. Many waves of persecution have gone over it, yet it is not drowned many attacks have been waged against it, yet none of them has prospered. This is not the first time that Haman's and Ahithophel's have plotted its ruin, or that a Herod has stretched out his hand to confound it. It has been preserved from, supported under, or delivered out of all its troubles. Is it not as dear to God as ever? Is He not as able to save it now as then? Though we know not from where deliverance should come, yet the lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations 2 peter chapter 2 verse 9 8 if you cannot derive comfort from any of these considerations try to draw some comfort out of your own trouble surely your trouble is a good indication of your integrity union is the ground of sympathy if you did not have some rich treasure in that ship you would not tremble as you do when it is in danger Likewise this frame of spirit may give you this consolation that if you are so aware of Zion's trouble Jesus Christ is much more aware of and attentive to it than you can be and he will have an eye of favor upon those who mourn for it Isaiah chapter 57 verse 18 The time of danger and public distraction the fourth season requiring our utmost diligence to keep our hearts is the time of danger and public distraction in such times the best hearts are too apt to be surprised by false fear. If Syria is allied with Ephraim, how the hearts of the house of David shake, even as the trees of the forest are shaken with the wind. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2. When there are ominous signs in the heavens, or the distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, then the hearts of men fail for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Even a Paul may sometimes complain of fightings without when there are fears within. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. But, my brethren, these things should not be. Christians should be of a more elevated spirit. David was, when his heart was kept in a good frame of spirit. Scripture The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, verse 1. Let only the servants of sin be the slaves of fear. Let those who have delighted in evil fear evil. Do not let what God has threatened as a judgment on the wicked ever seize the hearts of the righteous. Scripture Upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 36. What poor-spirited men are those who fly at a shaking leaf? A leaf makes a pleasant, not a terrible noise. It makes a kind of natural music. But to a guilty conscience, even the whistling leaves are drums and trumpets. Scripture. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 a sound mind as it stands there in opposition to fear is an unwounded conscience not weakened by guilt this should make a man as bold as a lion i know it cannot be said of a saint as god said of leviathan that he is made without fear there is a natural fear in every man and it is as impossible to completely remove it as to remove the body itself Fear is worry of the mind arising from the dread of approaching danger. As long as dangers can approach us, we will find some worries within us. It is not my purpose to commend to you a stoical apathy, nor even to dissuade you from such a degree of cautionary preventive fear as may fit you for trouble and be serviceable to your soul. There is a sensible fear that opens our eyes to foresee danger and hastens us to a prudent and lawful use of means to prevent it. Such was Jacob's fear, Genesis chapter 32, and such was his caution when expecting to meet his angry brother Esau. But it is the fear of distrustfulness from which I would persuade you to keep your heart. That tyrannical passion which invades the heart in times of danger, that distracts, weakens, and unfits it for duty, and that drives men with unlawful means and brings a snare with it. Now let us inquire how a Christian may keep his heart from distracting and tormenting fears in times of great and threatening dangers. There are several excellent rules for keeping the heart from sinful fear when imminent dangers threaten us. 1. Look upon all creatures as being in the hand of God, who manages them in all their actions, by limiting, restraining, and determining them at His pleasure. Get this great truth well settled by faith in your heart, and it will guard you against false fears. The first chapter of Ezekiel contains an admirable picture of providence. There you see the living creatures who move the wheels, that is, the great revolutions of things here below, coming unto Christ, who sits upon the throne, to receive new instructions from Him. In Revelation chapter 6, you read of white, black, and red horses, which are the instruments God uses to employ executing judgments in the world, such as wars, pestilence, and death. When these horses are prancing and trampling up and down in the world, here is a thought that may quiet our hearts. God has the reins in His hand. Wicked men are sometimes like mad horses. They would stamp the people of God under their feet But the bridle of providence is in their mouths. Job chapter one verses eleven through twelve. A lion at liberty is terrible to meet, but who is afraid of a lion in the lion keeper's hand? Two, remember that this God, in whose hand are all creatures, is your father, and is much more caring of you than you are or can be of yourself. Scripture, He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8. Let me ask the most fearful woman whether there is not a great difference between the sight of a drawn sword in the hand of a bloody thug and of the same sword in the hand of her own loving husband. There is as great a difference between looking upon creatures by an eye of sense and looking on them as in the hand of your God by an eye of faith. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5 is here very appropriate. For thy Maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. He is Lord of all the hosts of creatures. Who would be afraid to pass through an army, though all the soldiers should turn their swords and guns toward him, if the commander of that army were his friend or father? A religious young man was at sea in a raging storm, with a number of other passengers who were half dead with fear. He was the only one seen to be very cheerful, as if he was not concerned about the danger. One of the passengers demanded the reason for his cheerfulness. Oh, he said, it is because the pilot of the ship is my father. Consider Christ first as the King and supreme Lord over the providential kingdom, and then as your head, husband, and friend, and you will quickly say, Return unto thy rest, O my soul. This truth will make you stop trembling, and cause you to sing in the midst of danger, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Psalm 47, verse 7. That is, let everyone that has understanding of this heart reviving and establishing doctrine of the dominion of our Father over all creatures sing praise. 3. Urge upon your heart the express bands of Christ in this case, and let your heart stand in awe of the harm of them. He has charged you not to fear. Scripture. When ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. Luke chapter 21 verse 9. In nothing be terrified by your adversaries. Philippians chapter 1 verse 28. In Matthew chapter 10, within the span of 6 verses, our Savior commands us 3 times not to fear men. Does the voice of a man make you tremble, but not the voice of God? If you are of such a frightened spirit, how is it that you do not fear disobeying the commands of Jesus Christ? I think the command of Christ should have as much power to calm as the voice of a poor worm to terrify your heart. Scripture. I, even I am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass, and forgettest the Lord thy maker. Isaiah chapter 51. We cannot fear creatures sinfully until we have forgotten God. Did we remember what God is and what He has said? Then we should not be of such feeble spirits. Bring yourself then to this reflection in times of danger. If I let into my heart the controlling fear of man, I must let out the reverential awe and fear of God. And dare I cast off the fear of the Almighty, for the frowns of a man? Will I lift up proud dust above the great God? Will I run to a certain sin to shun a probable danger? O oh, keep your heart by this consideration. 4. Remember all of the needless trouble your vain fears have brought upon you in the past. Scripture And hast feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor as if he were ready to destroy? and where is the fury of the oppressor isaiah chapter 51 verse 13 he seemed ready to destroy yet you are not destroyed i have not brought upon you the thing that you feared you have wasted your spirit disordered your soul and weakened your hands to no purpose you might have all this while you enjoyed your peace and possessed your soul in patience and here I cannot but observe a very cunning strategy of Satan in managing a design against the soul by these vain fears. I call them vain with reference to the frustration of them by providence. But certainly they are not in vain as the end at which Satan aims in raising them. For in this he acts as soldiers do in the siege of a military base, who seek to wear out the besieged by constant lookouts, and thereby make them unfit to offer resistance when the soldiers storm it in earnest. Every night the soldiers provoke them with false alarms, which, though they come to nothing, yet remarkably, they answer the ultimate design of the enemy. Oh, when will you beware of Satan's schemes? 5. Solemnly consider that even if the things you fear should really happen, there is more evil in your own fear than in the things you fear and that not only as the least evil of sin is worse than the greatest evil of suffering, but as this sinful fear has really more trouble in it than there is in that condition of which you are so much afraid. Fear is both a multiplying and a tormenting passion. It represents troubles as much greater than they are, and so tortures the soul much more than the suffering itself. So it was with Israel at the Red Sea. They cried out and were afraid, until they stepped into the water, and then a passage was opened through those waters which they thought would have drowned them. Thus it is with us. We, looking through the telescope of carnal fear upon the waters of trouble, the swellings of Jordan cry out, "Oh, they are impassable! We must perish in them. But when we come into the midst of those floods, indeed, we find the promise made good. God will make a way to escape. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 thus it was with a blessed martyr when he would make a trial by putting his finger to the candle and found himself not able to endure that he cried out what cannot I bear the burning of a finger how then will I be able to bear the burning of my whole body tomorrow yet when that tomorrow came he could go cheerfully into the flames with this scripture in his mouth scripture fear not for I have redeemed thee I have called thee by thy name thou art mine when thou passest through the waters i will be with thee when thou walkest through the fire thou shalt not be burned isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 3 6 consult the many precious promises which are written for your support and comfort in all dangers you can fly to these refuges and be safe when the arrows of danger fly at night and destruction spoils the day there are certain promises suited to certain cases and crises there are also general promises that apply to all cases and conditions promises such as these all things work together for good to them that love god to them who are the called according to his purpose it shall be well with them that fear god romans chapter 8 verse 28 if you would only believe the promises, your heart would be settled. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 20. If you would plead them with God as Jacob did, and thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. Genesis chapter 32 verse 12, they would relieve you in every distress. 7. Calm your trembling heart by remembering your past experiences of the care and faithfulness of God in previous times of distress. These experiences are food for your faith in a wilderness. Psalm seventy-four, verse fourteen. By this David kept his heart in time of danger. 1 Samuel chapter seventeen, verse thirty-seven. And Paul kept his heart. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse ten. A saint answered when someone told him that his enemy laid in wait to kill him, "If God does not take care of me, how is it that I have escaped up to now?" You may plead with God old experiences for new ones, for it is in pleading with God for new deliverances as it is in pleading for new pardons. Mark how Moses pleads of that account with God. Scripture Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Numbers 14, verse 19. He does not say, as men do, Lord, this is the first fault you have not been troubled before to sign their pardon. But rather, he says, Lord, because you have pardoned them so often, I beg you to pardon them once again. So in new difficulties, let the saint say, Lord, you have often heard, helped, and saved in former years. Therefore, now help again, for with you there is plentiful redemption, and your arm is not shortened. 8. Be confident that you are doing your duty. And that will beget holy courage in times of danger. Scripture: Who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? 1 Peter chapter three, verse thirteen. Or if anyone dares to try to harm you, you may boldly commit yourself to God in well-doing, first Peter chapter four, verse nineteen. It was this contemplation that raised Luther's spirit above all fear. In the cause of God, said he, I ever am, and ever shall be, stout. Herein I assume this title, I yield to none. A good cause will lift up a man's spirit. Hear the saying of a heathen to the shame of cowardly Christians. When the emperor Vespasian had commanded Fluidus Priscius to not come to the Senate, or if he did come, to speak nothing but what he would have him to speak, the senator returned this noble answer that since he was a senator, it was fit he should be at the senate, and if being there, he were required to give his advice, he would freely speak that which his conscience commanded him. The emperor threatening that then he would die, he answered, Did I ever tell you that I was immortal? You do what you will, and I will do what I ought. It is in your power to put me to death unjustly, and in my power to die with constancy. Righteousness is a breastplate, let them tremble whom danger finds out of the way of duty 9 get your conscience sprinkled with the blood of christ from all guilt and that will raise your heart above all fear it is guilt upon the conscience which softens and makes cowards of our spirits scripture the righteous are bold as a lion proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 it was guilt in Cain's conscience that made him cry, everyone that findeth me shall slay me, Genesis chapter 4 verse 14. A guilty conscience is terrified more by imagined dangers than a pure conscience is by real ones. A guilty sinner carries a witness against himself in his own heart. It was guilty Herod who cried out, it is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead. Such a conscience is the devil's anvil, on which he fabricates all those swords and spears with which the guilty sinner pierces himself. Guilt is to danger as what fire is to gunpowder. A man does not need to fear to walk among many barrels of powder if he does not carry a fire. 10. Exercise holy trust in times of great distress. Make it your business to trust God with your life and comforts and then your heart will be at rest about them. David did that. What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. That is, Lord, if at any time a storm arises, I will shelter from it under the cover of your wings. Go to God by acts of faith and trust, and never doubt that he will keep you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee, Isaiah 62, verse 3. God is pleased when you come to him this way Father, my life, my liberty, and my estate are exposed, and I cannot secure them. O let me leave them in your hand. The poor committeth himself unto God, and does his God fail him? No, thou art the helper of the fatherless. That is, you are the helper of the destitute one, who has no one to go to but God. This is a comforting passage. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 112, verse 7. He does not say, His ear shall be preserved from the report of evil tidings. He may hear sad tidings like other men, but his heart will be kept from the terror of those tidings. His heart is fixed. 11. Consult the honor of religion more and your personal safety less. Do you think it is for the honor of religion that Christians should be as frightened as rabbits, startled at every sound? Will not this cause the world to think that, whatever you say, still your principles are no better than other men's? What mischief may the discovery of your fears before them do? It was justly said by Nehemiah, Should such a man as I flee, and who is there that being as I am would flee? Would it not be better that you should die than the world should be prejudiced against Christ because of your example? For alas, how apt is the world, who judges more by what they see in your practices than by what they understand of your principles, to conclude from your cowardice that however much you commend faith and talk of assurance, yet you do not trust in those things any more than they do when it comes to the trial. Oh, do not let your fears lay such a stumbling block before the blind world! 12. He who would protect his heart from fear must first secure the eternal interest of his soul in the hands of Jesus Christ. When this is done, you may say, Now, world, do your worst. You will not be very concerned about your despicable body when you are once assured, it will be well for all eternity with your precious soul. Fear not them, says Christ, which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. The assured Christian may smile with contempt upon all his enemies and say, Is this the worst that you can do? What do you say, Christian? Are you assured that your soul is safe, that immediately upon your death it will be received by Christ into an everlasting habitation? If you are sure of that, then never trouble yourself about how you will die. 13. Learn to quench all despicable creature fears in the reverential fear of God. This is a cure by diversion. It is an exercise of Christian wisdom to turn those passions of the soul which predominate most into spiritual channels, to turn natural anger into spiritual zeal, natural joyfulness into holy cheerfulness, and natural fear into a holy dread and awe of God. This method of cure Christ prescribes in Matthew chapter 10 and is similar to Isaiah chapter 8 verses 12 through 13. Neither fear ye their fear. But how can we help it? Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Natural fear may be allayed for the present by natural reasoning or the removing of the source. However, it is then like a candle blown out by a puff of breath. Which is easily lit again. But if the fear of God extinguishes it, then it is like a candle quenched in water, which cannot easily be rekindled. 14. Pour out to God in prayer those fears which the devil and your own unbelief pour on you in times of danger. Prayer is the best outlet for fear. Where is the Christian who cannot set his seal to this direction? I will give you the greatest example to encourage you to pray, even the example of Jesus Christ Mark chapter 14, verse 32. When the hour of his danger and death drew near, he went into the garden, separated from his disciples, and there wrestled mightily with God in prayer, even unto agony, in reference to which the apostle says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. He was heard as to strength and support to carry him through it, though not as to deliverance or exemption from it. O oh, that these things may abide with you and be put into practice in these evil days, and that many trembling believers may be established by them. The time of outward needs the fifth season requiring diligence in keeping the heart is the time of outward needs although at such times we should complain to god not of god the throne of grace being erected for a time of need hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 yet when the waters of relief run low and need begins to press how prone are the best hearts to not trust the fountain when the meal in the barrel and the oil in the cruse are almost gone our faith and patience, too, are almost gone. It is difficult now to keep the proud and unbelieving heart in holy quietude and sweet submission at the foot of God. It is an easy thing to talk of trusting God for our daily bread while we have a full barn or purse. But to say as the prophet, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 through 19 Surely this is not easy Would you know then how a Christian may keep his heart from doubting God or complaining against Him when outward needs are either felt or feared? The case deserves to be seriously considered, especially now, since it seems to be the design of providence to empty the people of God of their creature-fullness and acquaint them with those difficulties to which, until now, they have been total strangers. To secure the heart from the dangers attending this condition, these considerations may, through the blessing of the Spirit, prove effectual. 1. If God reduces you to necessities, He is not dealing with you any differently than He has done with some of the holiest men who ever lived. Your condition is not singular. Though you have until now been a stranger to need, other Christians have been familiarly acquainted with it. Hear what Paul says, not only of himself, but also in the name of other Christians reduced to similar necessities even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place 1st corinthians chapter 4 verse 11 to see such a man as paul going up and down the world naked hungry and homeless one who was so far above you in grace and holiness one who did more service for god in a day than perhaps you have done in all your days may well put an end to your complaining have you forgotten how much even david suffered how great were his difficulties give i pray thee says he to nibal whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son david first samuel chapter 25 verse 8 but why do i speak of these behold one greater than any of them even the son of god whom god hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds sometimes would have been glad for anything having nothing to eat scripture and on the morrow when they were come from bethany he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves he came if haply he might find anything thereon mark chapter 11 verse 12 hereby then god has set no mark of hatred upon you neither can you infer lack of love from lack of bread when your complaining heart asks was there ever sorrow like mine? Ask these honorable ones, and they will tell you that though they did not complain as you do, their condition was as needy as yours is. 2. If God did not leave you in this condition without a promise, you have no reason to complain or be despondent under it. That is a sad condition indeed to which no promise belongs. Calvin, in his comment on Isaiah 9, verse 1, explains in what sense the darkness of the captivity was not so great as that of the lesser invasions made by Tiglath-Pileser. In the captivity, the city was destroyed, and the temple was burned with fire. There was no comparison in the affliction, yet the darkness was not so great because, says he, there was a certain promise made in this case, but none in the other. It is better to be as low as hell with a promise than to be in paradise without one. Even the darkness of hell itself would be no darkness comparatively at all were there but a promise to enlighten it. Now, God has left many sweet promises for the faith of His poor people to live upon in this condition, such as these. Scripture, O fear the LORD, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 34, verses 9 through 10. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, to keep them alive in famine. Psalm 33, verses 18 through 19. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, verse 11. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things romans chapter 8 verse 32 when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst i the lord will hear them i the god of israel will not forsake them isaiah chapter 41 verse 17 here you see their extreme need water being put for their necessities of life and their certain relief I, the Lord, will hear them, in which it is supposed that they cry unto him in their distress, and he hears their cry. Having therefore these promises, why should not your distrustful heart conclude like David's, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Psalm 23, verse 1. But these promises imply conditions. If they were absolute, they would afford more satisfaction. What are those unspoken conditions that you talk about? They are that He will either supply or sanctify your needs, and that you will have everything that God thinks you need. Does this trouble you? Would you have the mercy, whether sanctified or not, whether God sees it fit for you or not? The appetites of Christians after earthly things would not be so ravenous as to seize greedily upon any enjoyment without regarding circumstances. But when needs press, and I do not see where supplies would come from, my faith in the promise shakes, and I, like murmuring Israel, cry, He gave bread, can He give water also? O unbelieving heart, when did His promises fail? Who ever trusted in them and was ashamed? may not god rebuke you for your unreasonable infidelity as in jeremiah chapter 2 verse 31 have i been a wilderness unto israel or as christ said to his disciples since i was with you have you lacked anything yes may you not rebuke yourself may you not say with good old polycarp these many years i have served christ and found him a good master indeed he may deny what your unruliness calls for, but not what your need calls for. He will not consider the cry of your lusts, but he will not despise the cry of your faith. Though he will not indulge your impure appetites, yet he will not violate his own faithful promises. These promises are your best security for eternal life, and it is strange that they should not satisfy you for daily bread. Remember the words of the Lord, and soothe your heart with them amid all your needs. It is said of Epicurus that in dreadful paroxysms of the colic he often refreshed himself by calling to mind his inventions in philosophy, and of Posidonius the philosopher that in acute disorder he comforted himself with discourses on moral virtue, and when distressed he would say, O pain, you do nothing, though you are a little troublesome, I will never confess you to be evil. If they could support themselves upon such grounds as these, under such racking pains, and even deluded their diseases by them, how much rather should the promises of God and the sweet experiences which have gone along step by step with them make you forget all your needs and comfort you in every difficulty? 3. If it is bad now, it might have been worse. Has God denied you the comforts of this life? He might have denied you Christ, peace, and also pardon. Then your case would have been woeful indeed. You know God has done so to millions. How many such wretched people do you see every day who have no comfort in hand, nor any hope, who are miserable here and will be so to eternity, who have a bitter cup and nothing to sweeten it? No, no hope that it will be any better. But it is not so with you. Though you are poor in this world, yet you are rich in faith, and an heir of the kingdom which He hath promised, James chapter two, verse five. Learn to set spiritual riches above temporal poverty. Balance all your current troubles with your spiritual privileges. Indeed, if God has denied your soul the robe of righteousness to clothe it, the hidden manna to feed it, the heavenly mansion to receive it, you might well be melancholy. But the consideration that he has not may give comfort under any outward distress. When Luther began to be pressed by need, he said, Let us be contented with our hard fare, for do not we feast upon Christ, the bread of life? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, said Paul, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 4. Though this affliction is great, God has far greater afflictions with which he chastises his dearly beloved ones. Should he remove this affliction and inflict those afflictions, you would think your present state to be a very comfortable one. So bless God to be as you now are. Should God remove your present troubles, supply all your outward needs, give you the desire of your heart in creature comforts, but hide His face from you, shoot His arrows into your soul, and cause the venom of them to consume your spirit? Should He let Satan beat you for a few days? Should He keep your eyes open for a few nights with horrors of conscience, tossing to and fro until day dawns? Should He lead you through the chambers of death, show you the visions of darkness, and make His terrors set themselves in array against you, then tell me if you would not think it a great mercy to be back again in your former necessary condition, with peace of conscience, and enough bread and water, with God's favor, a happy state? Oh, then take heed of complaining. Do not say that God deals harshly with you, lest you provoke him to convince you by your own sense that he has worse rods than these for unsubmissive and disobedient children. 5. If it is bad now, it will be better soon. Keep your heart by considering this. The meal in the barrel is almost gone. Well, be it so, why should that trouble me, if I am almost beyond the need and use of these things? The traveler has spent almost all his money. Well, says he, though my money is almost spent, my journey is almost finished too. I am near home and will soon be fully supplied. If there are no candles in the house, it is a comfort to think that it is almost day, and then there will be no need of them. I am afraid, Christian, you reckon wrongly when you think your provision is almost gone and you have a great way to travel many years to live and nothing to live upon. It may be not half so many as you suppose. Be confident in this. If your provision is gone, either fresh supplies are coming, though you do not see from where, or you are nearer your journey's end than you think you are. Desponding soul, does it befit a man traveling on the road to that heavenly city, and having almost arrived there, within a few days' journey of his father's house, where all his needs will be supplied, to be so anxious about a little food or drink or clothes, which he fears he will need along the way? It was nobly said by the forty martyrs when turned out naked in a frosty night to starve to death, The winter indeed is sharp and cold, but heaven is warm and comfortable. Here we shiver for cold, but Abraham's bosom will make amends for all. But, says the desponding soul, I may die from need. Who ever did? When were the righteous forsaken? If indeed it is so, your journey is ended, and you are fully supplied. But I am not sure of that. If I was sure of heaven, it would be another matter. Are you not sure of that? Then you have other matters to trouble yourself about than these. I think these should be the least of all your cares. I do not believe that souls perplexed about the need for Christ, pardon of sin, etc., are usually very concerned about these things. He who seriously asks questions like these, What must I do to be saved? How can I know my sin is pardoned? does not trouble himself with, What will I eat? What will I drink? or With what will I be clothed? 6. Is it proper for the children of such a father, to not trust his all-sufficiency, or complain about any of his distributions? Is it good to question his care and love upon every new emergency? Say, have you not previously been ashamed of this? Has not your father's seasonable provision for you in previous difficulties caused you to blush and made you resolve never again to question his love and care? And yet, will you again renew your unworthy suspicions of him? Hypocritical child, reason this with yourself. If I perish for lack of what is good and needful for me, it must be either because my Father does not know my needs, has nothing with which to supply them, or does not care what becomes of me. Which of these should I charge upon him? Not the first, for my Father knoweth what things I have need of, Mark chapter 6 verse 32 Not the second for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof Psalm 24 verse 1 His name is God all sufficient Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 Not the last for like as a father pitieth his children so the Lord pitieth those that fear him Psalm 103 verse 13 The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy James chapter 5 verse 11 He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry Job chapter 38 verse 41 And will he not hear me Behold the fowls of the air says Christ not the birds at the door which are fed every day by hand but the birds of the air which have no one to provide for them Does he feed and clothe his enemies and will he forget his children He heard even the cry of Ishmael in distress Genesis chapter twenty one verse seventeen. O my unbelieving heart, do you yet doubt? seven. Your poverty is not your sin, but your affliction. If you have not brought it upon yourself by sinful means, and if it is only an affliction, it can be more easily endured. It is hard indeed to bear an affliction that comes upon us as the fruit and punishment of sin. When men are in trouble because of that, they say, Oh, if only it were a single affliction coming from the hand of God, by way of trial I could bear it. But because I have brought it upon myself by sin, it comes as the punishment of my sin. The marks of God's displeasure are upon it. It is the guilt within which troubles and galls more than the lack without. But it is not so here. Therefore, you have no reason to be cast down under it. But though there is no sting of guilt, yet this condition lacks no other stings, as for instance the discredit of religion, I cannot comply with my engagements in the world, and thereby religion is likely to suffer. It is well you have a heart to discharge every duty, yet if God disables you by providence, it is no discredit to your profession that you do not do that which you cannot do, so long as it is your desire and endeavor to do what you can and ought to do. And in this case, God's will is that mercy and patience be exercised toward you. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 12 through 13. But it grieves me to behold the necessities of others whom I was accustomed to relieving and refreshing but now I cannot. If you cannot, it ceases to be your duty, and God accepts the drawing out of your soul to the hungry in compassion and desire to help them though you cannot open a full purse to relieve and supply them. But I find such a condition full of temptations, a great hindrance in the way to heaven. Every condition in the world has its hindrances and attending temptations, and were you in a prosperous condition, you might have more temptations and fewer advantages than you do now. For though I confess that poverty as well as prosperity has its temptations, yet I am confident, That prosperity does not have the advantages that poverty has. Here you have an opportunity to discover the sincerity of your love for God, when you can live upon Him, find enough in Him, and constantly follow Him, even when all external inducements and motives fail. Thus I have shown you how to keep your heart from the temptations and dangers attending a low condition in the world. When need oppresses, and the heart begins to sink, then improve, and bless God for these helps to keep it.